How you all doing this morning? You doing all right? Yeah? One or two are. Awesome. You're very quiet today. Are you tired? Talk to me. I'm tired. I woke up at three o'clock this morning um, because I was overheating in my bed. Um, Because when I went to bed last night, I had one sheet and one blanket on me. I discovered this morning that some secret squirrel came into my bedroom last night and put additional blankets on the bed because they were cold, (laughs) overheated me in the process so that I wake at three sweating and couldn't get back to sleep again. This series is called How to Hug a Vampire, Loving the People That Suck the Life Out of You. (laughs) And uh, last night, I experienced that, not mentioning any names, Trinity Jordan. Um, I'm just joking. She's not really a vampire. Um, And I'm excited about this series because uh, we all have people in our lives that suck the life out of us, yes? <laughs> I just saw wives elbowing husbands. and um, We all have those people that, you know, when you're in the supermarket and you go to go up that aisle and you see them, so you go to the next aisle over, you know, or you go back to the aisle just from hoping that they clear that aisle for you to get into. Oh, it's just, just I'm the only one that does that. Uh, you know, when you see them walking down the main street of Pukekohe, you all of a sudden decide that you want to go into the knitting shop and look at knitting. Come on. We all have people like that, yes? We all have people that we feel like suck the life out of us. In Romans 12, verse 14 to 18, it says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And here's the clincher. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think that that's a big ask of Scripture because I find it really difficult to live at peace with some people. I'm just going to give you a list of some people that you and I may struggle to live at peace with. First one is people who approach life with a high sense of entitlement but a low sense of gratitude. Anybody parented before? A high sense of entitlement. I deserve this. I deserve that. But never a thank you for when they get it. People who always make withdrawals but very rarely make deposits. Hey, I really want to be a friend with you, but you're always ringing them. They're never, ever ringing you. People who demand their rights, but they neglect their responsibilities. People who never follow through on their commitments. People who think whatever they're dealing with is the most important thing in the whole entire flipping world. First world problems. People who talk so much and listen too little. People who excuse their own issues but always point out everybody else's faults. 
people who don't put any effort in but want awesome results. My personal trainer told me that one day, (laughs) that if I want awesome results, I need to put some effort in. It's hard to be around people that are like that, yeah? It's hard to be around people, vampires, that suck the life out of you. But I don't want you to think about other people as I read out that list of kinds of people. I want you to take that like I have and give yourself a little bit of a self-assessment and go, man, am I any of those things? Because if I'm honest, the number one life-sucking vampire I have to deal with is me. See, loving the people that suck the life out of you starts with realizing that you suck too. It does. To be able to love people that suck the life out of you begins with you understanding that you actually suck too. We all suck. We're all needy in some way or another. Um, I want you to turn to the person next to you and repeat after me, you suck, I suck, we all suck. We all do. We all do in some way or another. We are somebody's vampire. We may not think we are, but we are. And, you know, the, the thing about all of us is that if I'm honest with you and if you're honest with yourself, I, I even suck the life out of myself. I, I become my own vampire and suck the life out of me. Paul, the apostle, put it this way in Romans 7, verse 21. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is Paul saying here? He goes, I I suck the life out of myself because I struggle with some of the stuff that goes on and I battle with sin and I battle with some of my decision processes and I find that I can be my own vampire. So as much as other people in your world may get on your last nerve, we all get on somebody else's last nerve and we are all prone to think that we're the center of the universe. Trinity says this to me sometimes. It's an ongoing joke. We celebrate 28 years married next week. And um, it's an ongoing joke in our house uh, since we've been married about um, it doesn't, it's not all about you, Craig. And I say to her, it's all about me. It will always be all about me. It's just a joke. It's not actually... But there are some people who literally think it's all about them. They have no empathy for whatever anybody else is going through. You know those people where they ask you, how are you doing? And you start to tell them about what you're going through. And within the first couple of words that come out of your mouth, they interrupt you to tell them how hard their life is. And they're not actually listening. They're not actually caring. They've made the whole entire world about them. And often... 
a frustration I might have with someone else is an indication of a deeper frustration I have with myself. Let, let me put it this way. Usually the thing that bugs you about someone else is because it's something that is in you that you need to sort out. Usually the thing that people accuse you of is the very thing that they're struggling with. You're right. See, what we call issues in ourselves, God calls sin. And sin sucked the life out of Jesus when he died on the cross. And so the reality is we all suck. We're all life suckers and not life givers. And he gave his life for us and we suck the life out of him. In 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1, it says this, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. What is Paul saying here to Timothy? He's saying, hey, it starts with me. It starts with me. If I'm going to be who I am, I need to understand who I was. And if it hadn't been for Jesus and what he did, the kind of person that I would be. I think that if we're going to be able to love people that suck the life out of us, it starts with us being honest with ourselves about how much we suck. With Christ, the Bible says, you are the righteousness of God, but without Christ, you are a sinner who is undone. And I think if we start our thought process with what Christ has saved us from, we will never take a position where we think that we are better than someone else. Matthew 7 puts it this way, says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, the level that you hold others to is the level that God will hold you to. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a whopping big plank sticking out of your eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's like somebody pointing out what's wrong with you. Next, next time somebody's pointing out something that's wrong with you and, and, and you know that they've got their own issues, what you want to be doing is as they're talking to you is just be doing this. <laughs> and if they go, what are you doing? I'm, I'm just ducking the big whopping plank out of your own eye. <laughs> you see, when we are focused on all that is wrong with others, we didn't neglect with what is wrong with us. And we all do this. It's easier to look at everybody else's faults than look at our own faults. But Jesus said if we live like that, Jesus says you're a hypocrite. And what I found, people that are hypercritical are usually people that are 
hypocritical. Did you understand that? Do I need to repeat it? People that are usually hypocritical are usually people that are hypocritical. The ones that are always critical about everything are usually hypocritical themselves. There's a saying that, that I have that I've said for years, and that is um, spirit of accusation comes from a guilty conscience. Usually the thing that people accuse you of is the very thing that they have an issue with. And I've seen that time and time and time again in my life. In fact, if we look through the history of the church and, and men of God like Jimmy Swaggart, who was a great evangelist for those that don't know, way back in the, in the early days, that guy before it was found out that he was sleeping with prostitutes was preaching from his pulpit critically against other ministers for their sexual misconduct. Usually, the thing that you're accusing others of is the very thing that you struggle with yourself. When it comes to judging others and loving others and helping others, we have to make sure we put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror first. Psalm 139 puts it this way. This is David saying, Explore me, O God, and know the real me. Dig deeply and discover who I am. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This scripture has been a real challenge to me this week because I don't think I've ever prayed a prayer that says, God, show me if there's any offensive way in me. Is there anything about who I am or what I do or my personality that is offensive to others? I don't think I've ever prayed a prayer like that. Maybe you have because you're godly and I'm not quite there yet, but I don't think I've ever prayed a prayer like that. And once we realize that we need to pick up the mirror and look at ourselves first before we even think about anybody else, then we realize that we're not superheroes with steaks and garlic and holy water going around destroying every other vampire that we can find, fix other people, clean up others' lives, all around you, when you realize that actually your job is to address yourself first before you fix anyone else, because Paul put it this way, he said, I now understand that, that God is doing all of this in me so that he may shine through me to help others. Not, not me go around telling other people what to do with their lives, but they would see through my journey of how God cleaned up my life that it will inspire them to do the same without me having to say anything. Because the Jesus that loved you for your dysfunction and still loves you wants to love other people through you in their dysfunction. God wants to use what he has done in you through your dysfunction to love others and their dysfunction. Why? Because the cross is both vertical and horizontal. It's not just about you and Jesus' relationship being healed, but the cross is horizontal as in us and others being healed through the cross. 
It's not just about Jesus saving me. It's not just about Jesus healing me. It's not just about my relationship with God, but the cross also heals relationships with other people and helps other people because it's both vertical and it's horizontal. We are where we are because of his grace and everyone else needs that same sort of grace also. And we have to make sure that we are both vertical and horizontal in our salvation experience. However, before we start helping others, we need to define our own property lines. And this is where I think some Christians struggle. We need to define our own property lines. Before you can put up a fence at your house or anywhere, you actually have to go to the council, work out where your boundary line is, make sure that you're not building your fence on somebody else's property, but on your property, make sure it's not too close to the house, make sure it's, you know, you you gotta work out where am I allowed to build this fence? If you have no fence around your property, then you have no way of defining what your boundary lines are. It's hard to know where your property ends and where your neighbor's begins, and you could end up mowing some of their lawn instead of just your lawn. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody even wants to mow their own lawns, let alone somebody else's lawns. You could end up mowing their grass, and sometimes we can add a whole lot of stress to our lives because spiritually we've never put in place boundary lines and we end up on someone else's grass spiritually and you end up trying to deal with and sort out stuff that is not your responsibility spiritually to sort out. Because you haven't put boundary lines in place, you end up mowing somebody else's grass spiritually. Now, Hear me when I say this, we're not talking about building barriers, we're talking about building boundaries. Not barriers to keep people out, but boundaries to define our space. We want to love everyone unconditionally, but you can love people unconditionally without giving them unlimited access. Are you hearing me today? This is stuff that's going to help you in life, especially as a parent. When your kids are older and left home, they make their own decisions. And some of you rescue them continuously because you have no boundaries in place. And you end up taking responsibility for their decisions, and it's not your responsibility. And by rescuing them, you're not helping them, you are harming them because they're not learning. I don't know who that was for, it's for somebody. It's not unbiblical or unloving to restrict a relationship, it's not unkind to have boundaries, it's biblical to have them. Psalm 1 1 goes this way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or take seat in the company of mockers. 
You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like boundaries to me. That sounds like this guy gets it, that if he wants to live a best, blessed life, he has to put some boundaries in place around him. And he's decided that there are some people, mockers, sinners, whatever, that he is going to keep at a, at a length away from him. He's not going to sit with the mockers. He's not going to stand with the scornful. He, he's putting boundaries in place that defines relationships and retains his rightful position in God by putting boundaries in place. He's basically saying, I can't give them access to my dreams, my heart, because they will affect my destiny. And so he puts boundaries in place. Look at it this way. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, you know the scripture, above all else, guard your heart, because why? Out of it flows everything. What, what's that? That's putting a boundary. Say, protect your heart. Guard your heart. Don't just let everybody in. Don't just let everybody have access because everything flows out of your heart. And, and, if, and you know, we, you've heard the saying before, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You understand that. The Bible says this, those who walk with the righteous become wise. Those who walk with the wise become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. What's the Bible trying to say? It's like you want to walk with wise people. Don't walk with unwise people. It doesn't mean that you can't love them. It doesn't mean that you can't reach out to them. Just don't walk with them. Put a boundary in place. Because if you don't put the boundary in place, you end up suffering harm. It's not those who walk with the wise become wise and those who walk with fools become stupid. It's those who walk with fools suffer harm. Why? You suffer the collateral damage of their world exploding onto you, and you get the shrapnel of their life. You've got to put some boundaries in place. Listen to this. Jesus did this with Peter. Matthew 16, 22 to 23 says, Peter took him, that is Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him, saying, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. I'm not saying you should say that to people. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, we know that Jesus loved Peter deeply. But in this case here, Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, hold on, Peter. I need to put a boundary in place because you're getting in the way of God's will for my life and my destiny and you need to get behind me with that thinking. You need to get outside of my boundary line with that thinking because it's not what God wants for me. If you don't put boundaries in place, you will get dragged down into their dysfunction rather than being an example and lifestyle of love and faith for them to follow. You can love them, you can pray for them, you can be kind to them, but you have to put a boundary in place so that you don't go down there and they have somewhere to come up to as God starts to work on them for their sakes. Are you okay today? Matthew 18 says this, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you, if they listen, 
you have won them over. Let me just stop there right for one moment because Christians get this wrong all the time. Christians are like, I, I talk to them, but they, but they didn't listen. No, no, no. What it says here is pull into one side and talk to them. It goes on to say, if they don't listen to you, take someone else with you. What we've interpreted the listen to you, we've interpreted as agree with me. It doesn't say if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they agree with you, you have won them over. It says if they've listened to you, you have won them over. But if they do not listen, not if they do not agree, this is the world we live in right now, right? If you don't agree with me, I'm cancelling you. I'm getting rid of you. I'm deleting you. I'm unfriending you because I because you don't listen to me. No, no, you want agreement with you. And the world would be a really, really sad place if we just all thought the same and did the same things and Nobody ever thought differently that everybody else would just be like robots walking around. Some of the greatest things that ever happened in society has been because people have disagreed and they've been able to wrestle with that disagreement and talk it through and, and found conclusions or outcomes that have shaped the world. If they do not listen to you, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Sometimes, can I just say this as a pastor? Sometimes I wish we followed this. But if I think I stood up here in church one Sunday and said, hey, there's a person that's part of our church who just won't listen to me, won't listen to the leaders, won't listen to the authorities that are over them, and I just want to tell you about them this morning and let you know what's going on in their world, because this is what it's saying. How would you feel about that if I did that with you, Rima? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want us to get caught up in that. What I want us to see here is that this is a boundary. This is a boundary, but they don't have to agree with you. They do have to listen to you, but they don't have to agree with you. And what I've seen in church life, even pastoring this church, you don't listen to us, so we're leaving the church. No, I just don't agree with you. You have offended me because you won't listen. No, I just don't agree with you. You don't have to agree with me on things. I don't have to agree with you on things. And we can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. What we should have agreement on is the fundamentals of our Christian faith, not all the other stuff. Are we doing okay? Titus 3.10 says this, Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time, after that, have nothing to do with them. Do you see us implementing that in the church? We should. You know why we should? Because anyone that is divisive, Proverbs says this, these six things God hates, no seven are abomination to them, and one is a person who causes division. 
We, we show way too much grace compared to what the Bible instructs. If you've got someone who's constantly causing division that you're a friend with or causing division all the time, you need to separate yourself from them. And it's not because there are people that I have decided I don't want to have any relationship with them because they are very divisive. It's not that I don't love them. It's not that I don't care for them. It's not that if they rang me up and said, hey, can we have a coffee and a chat, that I wouldn't do that. It's just that I've got boundaries in place because I don't need division close to my heart. And neither do you. It's just the boundary, and boundaries aren't wrong. Boundaries are biblical. God's command for you to love everyone is not permission for you to mismanage the investment he has put in your life. Dr. Caroline Leaf says it this way. She says, stop giving energy and time to people that are committed to not understanding you. The Bible puts it this way. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Like if you know someone's not going to listen, then just, just put a boundary in place. It's not worth it. It's not worth the aggro. You'll mismanage what God has put in you because you end up spending all your time trying to help people that need help. And here's the thing. You shouldn't spend your time trying to help people that need help. You should spend your time trying to help people that want help. Because needing help and wanting help is two completely different things. There's a lot of people that need help, but you can't help someone that doesn't want help. Are we okay? Let me put it this way. I love Trinity. I also love Rimmer. But my love for Trinity is without boundaries. And my love for Rimmer has boundaries. Because I can't love Rimmer the way that I love Trinity. How I'm meant to love Trinity is different. And, and it's not been unloving to Rimmer. It's just been biblical. Are you with me? Not a great illustration. But let me put it this way. Loving people equally doesn't mean granting equal access. My kids can walk into my house, open my fridge, and have whatever food they want in it. You walk into my house and start helping yourself the food in my fridge when I don't even know you, I'm going to have a problem with that. Just like you'd have a problem if I knocked on your door this afternoon and you open it and I just push past you and get into your freezer and grab your your roast lamb that you brought and everything else and I just say, thank you, and walk out the door again. You're going to be, whoa, 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 hold on a sec. You can love people equally, but it doesn't mean that they have equal access You've got to set some boundaries in place. Galatians 6 says this. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. In other words, be careful. Have some boundaries in place. Otherwise, you might get sucked into the same vortex. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. 
Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. This piece of scripture confuses me because in verse 2 it says we should carry each other's burdens, but then in verse 5 it says you should carry your own load. So which is it? Do we carry other people's burdens or we just carry our own thing? Like how does this all work? Well, it's both. It's not one or the other, it's both. There are certain things that you can do for people and there are certain things that you can never do for people. No matter how much you love them. And wisdom is knowing the difference between the two. There are some things that you can do to help people and there are some things you cannot do to help people. I have a saying that I always share with our leaders and I'll share it with you to help you. It's, like, it's our job to minister to people, not to fix people. I can't save anyone. It's, it's quite funny. I've just had this thought process lately. We used to celebrate when people give their lives to Christ or put their hands up in a Sunday service and would celebrate that as a win until the Holy Spirit said to me, what part do you play in that? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, the Holy Spirit does the convicting according to Scripture and Jesus does the saving. So what part did you play in that? We can get ourselves so caught up in things that just aren't ours to do. There are some things that we can help people with, but there are some things that you can't. And you can help. I can help you when you cannot help yourself. But when you can help yourself and you refuse to, I can't help you. Are you understanding what I mean? I can help you bear your burden, but I won't carry it for you. I will be burdened for you, but I will not carry your burden. Because all that does, if I carry your burden for you, all that does is makes you dependent on me and not dependent on Jesus. And this is the mistake we make when we have a strong empathy gift is we want to rescue everybody from their stuff and then they become dependent upon you instead of dependent upon God. And if you get a job and you shift away, their whole entire world falls apart because their strength wasn't in Christ, it was in you. And our job is to draw our men, all men unto himself, not unto us. And if you do that, you make people dependent on you instead of dependent on God, it actually makes them weak rather than them becoming strong. You can't change people. You can inspire people, you can advise them to a degree, but you can't change them. And the proof of that is that we can't actually change ourselves, let alone someone else. We need Jesus to do it. I can't change myself. I need God to do it. And God may use other people to do that, but I can't do it in my own strength, in my own ability. I can't save myself. I can't heal myself. I can't transform myself. It's all him that does it. So you can't fix others because you can't even fix yourself without Jesus. We all have stuff about ourselves that we would change right now if we could, yes? I mean, I've got stuff about me that I'd change overnight if I could, but I can't. But Jesus can. 
You can mow someone else's lawns, but when yours is up to your waist, you're really kidding yourself. Because it's not the burden that breaks you down, it's how you carry it that breaks you down. It's not the burden that breaks you, it's how you carry it that breaks you. And when we try to carry other people's burden, it will break us down every single time. But when we say, God, only you can do what this person needs done, and I want to join you in that process of loving them like you have loved me, then God's love flows through you to others without breaking you in the process. And the last thing I want to share with you as the musicians come today, actually just, just cull them on the keys, will be fine. As I want to encourage you, stay full of God's presence for yourself or you won't have anything to give anyone else. To stay filled with God's presence for yourself, otherwise you will not have anything to give anyone else. We all only have so much emotional, spiritual, physical energy, and if we don't manage it well, we will have it sucked out of us. And you won't have any for yourself, you won't have any for your spouse. You won't have any for your family because you have not been making sure that you are filling yourself up. And you can keep making withdrawals without making deposits. But if you keep on making withdrawals without making deposits, you will go emotionally, physically, and spiritually bankrupt. You have to get into His presence. You have to eat of the fruit of the kingdom before you show up in situations and circumstances that will deplete you. I can remember a few years ago, I say a few years ago, it was really early on, probably in the first two or three years that, that, that I was pastoring here, I had, I had Pastor Mark Tobias tell me, you know, you need to make sure that you're full before you, before you deal with any situations. And, and someone in the church, they've shifted away now, but someone who was in the church, their, their, their husband left them. It's about nine o'clock at night, and I get a call. You gotta come over right now. You gotta come right now. My husband's left me, my marriage is over. You gotta come right now, you gotta come right now. Now I've been out three nights in a row and I was meant to be having a family night with my family. And I took Mark's advice and I, I just said to the person, hey look, I can't come see you right now, but I'll come see you first thing in the morning. And it's not because I don't love you and I don't care about you. It's just that if I come to you now, I'm going to come, one, tired, two, in the back of my mind, all I'm going to be thinking about is how guilty I feel that I've not spent the evening with my family like I promised them I would. The best thing for you would be if I have this time with my family and then I get a decent night's sleep so that when I turn up in the morning, you get the best of me and not the leftovers of me. However, I will get someone to come and sit with you. That's not being unloving. That's called boundaries. And I wouldn't have been able to help them that night because I would have just been feeling guilty the whole time that I wasn't spending time with my family. And I would have been tired. You don't do anyone any favors when you're empty. Are we okay? And the cool thing is, 
is you, if you eat before you come and you're not getting any encouragement out of the conversation or you're not getting anything out of the conversation or anything out of the relationship, you can go, it's okay, it's cool. I ate before I came. I don't need anything. You see, frustration is the gap between what I expect and what I experience, no matter what the situation is. And you get frustrated because what you're expecting is not what you're experienced. And so you're trying to help people, but you just get frustrated because it's not happening how you think it should because you haven't focused on making sure that you're full of God's presence for yourself. And I only know three ways to get rid of frustration. You might know other ways, but I only know three ways to get rid of frustration. First one is lower your expectations so that you don't expect God to do anything. If you lower your expectations of what God can do, then you'll never get frustrated because you don't expect Him to do much. That's one way to get rid of your frustration. The second way is just be frustrated all the time and then it just becomes normal. Or door number three, let God fill the gap between what you expect and what you experience and place your expectation on God who is able to hold every situation on his shoulders and bear it on his back because he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me and enter into your rest. We need to love people that suck the life out of us. But we need to also make sure that we're not pointing out everybody else's stuff when we're a life sucker ourselves. We need to make sure that we're not trying to fix people, but we're actually just loving and ministering to people, trusting Jesus to do the work. We need to make sure that we've got boundaries in place so that we don't get completely and totally wrecked emotionally and spiritually because then you're of no help to anybody that you're trying to help. And putting in boundaries is not unloving, it's biblical. And you'll do more for them by making sure that your emotional energy tank and your spiritual energy tank and everything else is full to the brim. And then you need to trust God that He'll make up the gap between what your expectation is and what you see happening. Because only He can heal, transform, forgive it's Jesus it's not our job to fix people it's our job to minister to them it's not our job to carry people's burdens it's our job to be burdened for them and I want to tell you if you can live your life that way understanding that hey I need to check myself before I even think about anybody else and if we can put some boundaries in place and understand that it's him that does it but we just, we just be there to love on them and we let God minister through our stuff. As an example, as Paul said, I want to tell you, your life will go so much better because you won't be frustrated trying to make things happen because you can't fix anybody, but Jesus can. Amen? Why don't you all close your eyes just for a moment? I really want to pray this morning for people that just feel like your, your emotional energy tank 
Can we leave the lights on, please? Your emotional energy tank. It's just empty. Like you're, you've been battling away with stuff for so long. You've felt so empty for so long. And maybe you're recognizing today that half the problem is, is you're trying to make this happen instead of trusting God to do it. Maybe you've been trying to fix people and that's where the frustration has kicked in because you can't fix anyone, but Jesus fixes people. Maybe there's some stuff in you that you realize, oh, I've got to deal with that. Maybe, maybe your frustration with the person is actually coming through the filter of your own frustrations. And you're here today and you're like, man, I, I really need to just take a deep breath, let go of, of everything I'm trying to control, focus on making sure I've got myself right, and then trust God to minister through me to others instead of me trying to change it. And if you're here and you're like, man, would you pray for me that God would come in such a way that my emotional tank, my spiritual tank would just be filled to the brim continuously because of His presence. And I'll take all the pressure off me trying to make this thing work and trust the one who heals, trust the one who saves, trust the one who restores to do the work while I just do the loving. If you're here today and you're like, man, Craig, would you pray for me that I'd have an infill? of God in such a way that there's just a shift in me. Why don't you lift your hand up right now while no one's looking around. If that's you here today, come on, is there anybody else here today? you all got great emotional energy tanks. Awesome. Father, you see hands that are lifted. Father, that you would help us to love people the right way. That you would fill us to the brim with your presence. That you would fill our emotional tank, our spiritual tank, our physical tank. That we would make sure that we're always eating first before we go and help others. That we're feeding on you so that when we turn up the situations, God, We've already eaten and we're okay. We can minister to people. We want to minister to people. We want to love on people. We want to see people's lives changed and transformed. But God, we can't do that from an empty tank. So I pray right now that you would come and fill them, that you give them strategies, that you would help them to find boundaries to put in place that doesn't get interpreted as unloving, but actually sees transformation take place because Christ is doing the work while I'm doing the caring. Father, I pray that you'd fill them to overflow today and that we would be people that walk out of this place that, that the world around us feels greatly loved and greatly cared for, but they're not becoming dependent upon us, but they're becoming dependent upon you and that you do the saving, you do the healing, you do the transformation. And we just pray that you let us come along on the journey to see those lives transformed. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen.
Hey, thanks so much for coming out today. Hope that helped you. Uh, next, week's, uh, next week's message is Vampires Rule the Night. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. And uh, I just feel that this, this whole series, if you can be here every week, I just think it's going to help you immensely. Uh, just not yourself personally, but in your relationships with others around you and understanding how to let God do the work so you can just do the loving, yeah? And I just think God's going to do some great things in your life. Why don't you stick around, have tea and coffee with us, get to know someone. Don't forget youth, 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. If they're year 9 to 13 at school, um, they can rock up. And, uh, and it's Mother's Day next week. We've got a gift for all the mums. And so um, you want to make sure you turn up for that. It might be the only gift you get. If your husband's useless or your kids are useless. Um, and uh, we're going to have some other bits and pieces going on. But otherwise, why don't you have an incredible week where you're in His presence and just being filled all the time so that you can walk into any situation full of this presence and the Spirit of God. And, I'll, and you can watch God do the work no matter where you are. God bless you heaps, and we'll see you all next Sunday.